There was no slime production at this level ever before we started this. So it's sort of like waking up and deciding to do something that had never been done before and figuring it out along the way. And the amount of glue that we go through, tens of thousands of gallons a month, the clay that we're bringing in on containers from China, its enormity is unbelievable and just the, the quantity of ingredients that go into the slime and the team that we have out there packing the slime and, and mixing it and making it. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. And great ideas can come from anywhere. The people at Gray have a long history of finding and creating famously effective ideas. And so with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creators, artists, founders, and leaders from different industries about how they came up with their best ideas. And that's Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll discuss the joy of play, the power of partnership, and what it takes to learn and grow from pain. Hi, I'm Jason Connor, Global Chief Client Officer at Gray. This week's idea is the Salumo Institute, based in Soho in New York City. It is a place that celebrates joy through sensory play, specifically with slime. Yes, the gooey, textured, and scented slime. Today, we'll hear Gray Matter producer Joey Scarillo's conversation with the co-founders of the Slumo Institute, Sarah Schiller and Karen Rabinovitz, as they discuss the challenges that they faced that eventually led them to slime. Sarah and Karen founded the Immersive Space in October 2019, just months before the pandemic. During that time, with a very small team, they would pack boxes, put slime in jars, and make labels until the doors slowly started to open back up. As you can imagine, they faced many challenges and struggles while building. However, the idea and vision to have a space that champions neurodiversity, inclusivity, and a sense of freedom has kept the founders on their path. Sarah is a mother of two girls with a master's in finance from NYU Stern School of Business. She was the founder of the Wooster Collective, the world's largest blog dedicated to street art. She is a board member for the Brooklyn Museum and the O'Hell Children's Home. Carrot is a veteran of the media industry. She formerly launched Digital Brand Architects, the first talent management agency for digital influencers, and was the co-CEO for seven years. She's authored two books, was acknowledged by Variety as one of 80 women in power in 2016, and Forbes once called her one of the best branded women in social media. She is also a board member at the Brooklyn Museum and the Bronx Museum of the Arts. Here are Karen Rabinovitz and Sarah Schiller. Sarah speaks first. Slumo Institute is a sensory playground. It's a space filled with joy and interactive moments around slime, ASMR, and all different types of tactile compounds that you can play with, that make you feel good, that makes everyone happy. And where is it located? We are in Soho, New York, but rapidly expanding to Chicago and Atlanta and Denver and growing our uh experiential moments along the way. So the new spaces will have different components to them. That's great. So here we are, we are playing with slime. So you'll hear slime. Let's, let's do a little ASMR moment. Maybe we all have slime in our hands. Oh goodness. The crackling is so nice. I know. 
I can actually, if you get a really good crackle, I'm gonna have to build to it for a second because the trick is filling the slime with air and then squeezing it out. So, you know, first you've got to do some stretching and then, and this one that I'm holding smells like birthday cake. So it's not just making incredible sounds and feeling good and looking good, but it smells so yummy. So uh, we're doing this on a podcast, right? So we are only going to be able to hear this, but it sounds like the Institute, the SLUMU Institute is full, all five senses engaged. What can you say a little bit about some of the sensory experiences here? So first of all, we have dozens of different types of slime. So we have slime with beads in it, slime with phloem in it. We have 60 different scents. So you can really get a tactile and... Uh, experience as well as the scent and visually making bubbles and doing lots of really fun things with the slime. We, along, along your journey through the Institute, you'll have different experiences. So you can see your brain on slime, you can slingshot slime, you can walk on slime, you can make your own custom slime at our DIY bar where there's over 4 million different possibilities of the slimes you can make. So it's a real playground. There's really engulfing, immersive CGI ASMR videos, headphones to listen to, ASMR sounds, and areas where you're just literally digging in to these beautiful sculptures of that, that hold, each one holds five gallons of slime. And all of the slime has almost like a museum sign that explains what that texture is known for because people don't realize how nuanced all of this is yeah. and how it's actually all based on science. Yeah. And so wh what is the typical clientele of uh, folks coming in? Um, it is mostly families, uh, kids of all ages, literally from six months old or even younger to probably 14, 15, but then you also get the millennial sort of, you know, adult, the person who wants their great Instagram moment, but then finds the nostalgia and play and the stress relief that comes out of that. There's definitely sort of what we call the cultural pariahs, the people who are into like the sneaker culture and hype beast. And, you know, there's something funny about this, the way that Supreme can dip into nostalgia in an interesting way. This is what that this taps into as well. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it, it's interesting. It harkens back to Nickelodeon. You know, I'm like, I'm that millennial uh, adult age that I feel um, smack dab in the middle. But when I think of slime, I think of the, the green slime coming down. But this is not the same consistency no. as that. And this is all handmade in our quote unquote kitchen. So we kind of joke that we have a Michelin star kitchen at the same time as a guest experience. <laughs> um, can you say a little more about the process of creating the slime? So first of all, this is this doing this as a beast. People don't realize what goes into this because I would say that we're making more than 500 gallons of slime a day. And the main base is Elmer's glue. We have industrial Hobart mixers, the kind you would see at any normal bakery, you know, 30 quart mixers. And, you know, every day it's mixing various types of glue together with an, a substance that we call an activator, which creates 
uh, the bond of the molecules of the glue uh, to stick to themselves versus something else. And as you start to add in things like colorant or scent or vegetable glycerin or lotion to soften it, and then other ingredients that make for different textures, the entire chemical makeup starts to change. So then it's like cooking. You have to overcompensate. You add this, it might make it sticky again. So then you add in that to make it unsticky. And then you add in, you know, this has to be a little more sticky to accommodate the beads. So when somebody plays with it, they don't fall out. I mean, there's so many nuanced things. Sometimes there's a fake snow or an air dry clay and when you are in any part of our space, probably at any time, somebody will say, oh, my God, it smells like birthday cakes or sugar cereal or cupcakes or, you know, something really, 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 really yummy. Yeah, I came in and it smelled like vanilla. The one key thing I want to say is that before we launched this, we worked with Rensselaer Polytech to really understand the total chemical makeup because the environment is important to us. And that's one of the reasons we don't use glitter. It takes a thousand years for glitter to break down. And slime is actually biodegradable. Hmm. And we found with our study that it could potentially be compostable with heat. This is us creating, you know, some way of global sustainability for a slime culture. And we will kind of reimagine that study now that things have eased up after the pandemic or in the pandemic. So let's bring it around to you both and why you decided to dedicate your lives, lives, careers to this substance that we're playing with. But I do want to know what brought you to Slime. So this came from an intensely personal place. Um, I'll back up by saying Sarah and I have now been friends for 14 years and we're a very much of a Venn diagram of skill sets and where we meet in the middle has always been our understanding of our visual sensibility, you know, how we imagine brands building and also I think our work ethics. And even if we're different people, our work styles really have always we saw as friends melded together. And um, while Sarah comes from business management and hospitality, I come from the media. And, you know, I was living, you know, my normal life. I had a very successful company. This was going, I started my previous life. I had co-founded the first talent management agency for social media influencers, actually often worked with Gray. And you know, from the outside, I think somebody would have looked at my life and said, oh, she has everything going on for her. I had was married for 14 years. You know, I had this very cute husband. I had this very successful company. Like life seemed great, but my life really wasn't great. And I was going through, I think, a lot of very difficult things in my marriage. My marriage was probably in around, you know, probably starting in around 2011, starting to disintegrate. And by 2016, it was in a really bad place. And I also think I was becoming pretty disillusioned with a lot of elements of my company. And it wasn't really fulfilling my soul in the way that it was when I first started. And I think I kind of felt a little lost in my life. And I separated from my husband, which was incredibly grueling and taxing and emotional. And during that time, 
he passed away. It's something you could never imagine, expect, plan for, and even wrap your head around. And I had a monumental nervous breakdown. I, I literally broke and I, I can almost barely remember the next two years. I left my company and I only left my house to get help because I was just in shambles. About nine months after I lost him, I then lost my cousin in the Parkland school shooting. And these are like two really like incredibly life-changing things where if there was a way to tap out of the universe, I would have. I did not want to be here anymore. I was in tremendous depression. And one day my friend came over. She happened to have her daughter with her. Her daughter happened to have just come from a slime convention in Brooklyn and had this bag of slime. And I knew there was a slime community. I knew there were billions of views on YouTube. I grew up with slime in this before you in the seventies when it came in a plastic garbage can by Mattel. And it was my favorite thing as a child. And so I was very curious about quote unquote today's slime. And I knew there was this handmade sort of DIY situation around it. So I said, oh, Maddie, I want to see your slime. And before I realized it, I had been sitting on the floor with Maddie for four hours. My friend was, you know, neck deep in Narcos on my television, very happy to catch up on television. And she was probably also really happy that one of her friends was like truly bonding with her daughter. But when they were leaving, I, I kind of took a step back and I said, this was the first time in nearly two years that I had a four hour stretch without crying, without feeling intense grief, without crawling, literally crawling out of my skin. And I had joy. I was me as a seven-year-old. So I said, where, where do I get more of this? I need it. And so A, she gave me some slime and B, she gave me a list of all of these kids slimers far and wide across the internet to buy slime from. And I started finding their, you know, Etsy shops and they were having drops and it's very much like Supreme. If you didn't get there right away, you missed the slime. I started emailing them to be like, listen, I'm an adult. I can, I'll buy one of every one of your slimes. I just can't deal with the drop. I just, I need it. So can you set, and they would send me special links and I would buy one of each of their slimes. And then word started spreading in this little slime community. There was an adult who was buying everybody's slime. And I started to bring slime to Sarah. And I was like, you gotta try this. This is really making me happy. And this is little, did I realize bringing some creativity back to my soul. I started thinking about the art of combining colors and scents and what you're naming them very much in the way that maybe when I was a little kid, I would think about who names nail polishes and who names makeup. And in a way you're storytelling through slime and slime can, you can start interpreting trends or, you know, culture moments. And Sarah and I began to have these weekly dates to play with slime and, you know, in our late forties, sitting on the floor and then engaging with her daughters and seeing her daughters really relish in it. It was incredibly special and we'd all do it. And then we would invite other people into our circle. And then Sarah and I found ourselves talking about slime like all the time. And we, I, we were finally like, we need to bring this to people. This is magic. There is something that makes you bond with other people. There's something inherently inclusive about it. 
uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, where you've come from, what you look like, what you have, what you don't have, what your beliefs are, you're just playing. And it very much reminds me of the innocence of being, you know, a really small child and being able to bond with people from another country, knowing that you couldn't speak the same language, but you spoke the language of play. And from that conversation, it was literally 12 months later that we opened up our essentially 12,000 square feet in Soho and started our business. And it was kind of one of the most natural things in a way that we've ever done. I mean, it was hard and it's still hard, but every single thing, people were like, how did you think of all of this stuff? And we were like, I, I, I can't explain it. It just poured out. And I think it was because it came from such a place for me, it was healing and passion. And for Sarah, it was like, we're doing something really good. And I'm giving my daughters a model that your mom can do something that feels good. Yeah. And we bring mission into our business because of all of this. Yeah. Okay, Sarah. So Karen shows up with um, the slime on day one to play with uh, you and your daughters. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that this is going to be really fun. But I had no idea the vast universe of people that were playing with slime and making slime from kids through on to adults. And we also saw at the same time the emergence of experiential retail. So around this time, Museum of Ice Cream started and I have a background in hospitality and the guest experience and how guest experiences create that emotional connection to build brands. And when we started thinking of this as an experience, it really tapped into my, you know, intrinsic desire to, to imagine and think about how people interact with the environment around them. And Karen and I had spent a lot of time going to performance art events. So we both have a passion for contemporary art, but we'd also been doing a real deep dive. I don't think on purpose, but into performance art. And we were found that we were, we were super moved and, uh, we were blown away by just all the ingenious performances and experiences you could have out there in the art world. And I think we knew that we wanted to create things that would surprise people along the way. What were some of your sources of inspiration that led you to want to get involved and actually turn this into a thing, like make this, this place? Well, we, we actually originally wanted it to be 3000 square feet. And we were talking about tapping into some of our friends who are artists to build out a slime experience. And Karen and I went to one of these slime conferences, which I say is like going to an Elks Lodge where you have fold out tables and people selling slime. And when Karen and I got there, we had VIP tickets. Uh, there were 500 people outside the front door. We could barely get in. And we looked at each other and I was like, we're going to need a bigger boat. So then we started looking at 10,000 square foot spaces. When we came to like, what would this design be? A, the architecture and, you know, layout of the space defined this very linear narrative that kind of walks in like a skinny U shape. But B, we, we just sat down and put together a mood board and we each said, you know, you cut out images and I'll cut out images and let's bring them together. And we brought them together and it was literally just 
everything fit into one mood board. There was nothing that the other one brought that we were like, this doesn't belong. It was like, yes, yes, yes. And we started to see the repeat of the same kind of colors, which were magenta, this cyan blue and sunshine yellow. And we were like, these colors together just scream joy. And everything about this was about delivering joy. And knowing that we both, you know, come to the table with these really strong desires to create community and the sense of inclusion and support all different groups who are marginalized, especially those who are in the neurodiverse communities and also really give back to mental health because I I truly was crediting this discovery and then building this out as a huge part of my healing and me coming back to myself, which you know, I literally still am coming back to myself every day. I feel like I get a little better every day, but I have setbacks, but it's that this journey brought me back to the universe and also put me in a place where I could now live the most authentic part of myself through my career versus things I had done in the past. I spent a huge part of my career in fashion and I don't think that was the best thing for my soul. And this is such a good thing for my soul. Yeah. What's so interesting is that it, you know, slime and this place is easy to say, this is what the idea is. But I think what's so interesting is that, you know, you did not create slime. Slime has been around for a very long time. But what I think is so interesting is that to me, it seems like the idea is actually the pillars that brought you here, these things like a sense of community. So I'm curious, you know, in building this, this place and getting all of the ingredients to create the slime, what was it that like surprised you the most? What jumped out to you that was like, did not expect that when we were going to create this institute. I I know we're going to both say the same thing. thing. We had no idea the destruction level that a nine-year-old child can create. (laughs) And our space has been torn apart, rebuilt, torn apart and rebuilt. And people don't believe us when we say like, oh, a plaster you know, object won't last or anything that's hanging off the wall will be ripped down. It is incredible. The, I I think the energy they get when they walk in and they know what they're about to experience. And then when they start getting into it, it fuels the energy levels to something beyond belief. And we just weren't prepared for, for that level of destruction. And it's interesting that it also becomes the adults, we've walked in part of our space and seen a person literally, literally smearing slime on his hair. And then we joke that you come down to the Slumu spa because we know how to remove it. And so we're like, okay, it's time to go to the hair washing station. When you describe this place, I would imagine that it takes a lot of getting people on board and, and trying to get them to understand what this place is. So who are some of the people that got it right away? Who were some of the supporters, people that you brought along that really championed the idea early on? That's, a, that's an easy one for me because it was our first investor, Tony Co. Karen met her in Los Angeles with a PowerPoint that, um, you know, that we had made in, in a couple weeks. And she got the idea 100%. And she was the one and only backer we had in the beginning financially, which really helped Karen and I take off from the start very quickly. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, we built sort of the movement around opening 
all organically, all through social media, word of mouth. And our first four months of business, there were 30,000 people a month buying tickets to our space. And then we had to close because of COVID. This was done with legitimately $500 a month of advertising on Facebook. But one of the things that really supported that, Karen, were all of the Slimers that came and worked in our theater kitchen. So we have this beautiful window on Broadway and every two or three days, a different Slimer would fly in and make slime in our theater kitchen. They were sleeping on the floor in my house at times. And their their support of the whole the whole project and of us, you know, working with them to make slime was was an incredible part of our beginning. The other person who really sort of doubled down on us was Elmer's. Uh, we flew out to Atlanta to meet with Elmer's because we were like, we're going to need a lot of glue and we're going to build this institute and we're going to open dozens of them. And they said, you know, we're, we get it. We, we understand. And they've been, you know, providing us with a partnership of glue and glue support from the beginning. And it helped to sort of have them on board. They're not like a paid paying sponsor. They're just an organic part of our world and they make the glue very easy for us to acquire. So you mentioned the community a little bit and beyond just being a place where kids can come and play with slime. Can you talk a little bit about the community that most benefits from a place like Slumu? Yeah, well, I'll talk about that because my older daughter has special needs. She has a rare genetic syndrome called Angelman syndrome. And uh, ironically too, my husband had a stroke in his fifties and he is disabled and he has special needs. So I've come to this with a lot of knowledge around people who are different and perceive the world in a different way. And one of the things that Karen and I have been able to do is open our doors on mornings for school groups that are special needs where we can either turn down the music or have fewer people in here so that it's quieter so that they can uh, engage and play in the space in a way that feels comfortable for them. We've also built the entire space to be fully accessible. And we had a group in here from a school and the the director of the school, as she was leaving with tears in her eyes, said that she'd never been to a space where all of her children who were in wheelchairs could participate at the same time. And that's a, that's a powerful statement for us. It feels like we're really bringing to life our, our mission of creating joy. We also have another program, which is uh, on the, on the other side of things. I, I um, kind of call this what, what's probably going to become our, our hidden talent network, which is around neurodiverse adults. And we have a program to, to bring in and train neurodiverse adults. And this is something that we're going to grow over time and bring into our other cities. And um, in addition to providing the opportunity for these adults to have a job, which 85% never, never actually get the opportunity to work, we believe they create a better work environment. People are friendlier. There's more camaraderie. There's more of an understanding of, of differences between us that create something better. And what we found is so many employees have come up to us and have said, you know, my cousin has Down syndrome. My brother has special needs. My mom is a special educator. And it seems like it's it's actually tapping into uh, a vein that our 
employees who aren't neurotypical really value and respect. And we want to also be a place where people of all genders can be welcome. And we've had another great moment where uh, an employee came up to Karen and I separately, actually, and he said that he was so happy to work here. I love working here. I want you to know that I'm uh, trans and I uh, this has been the best place I've ever worked. I found out about working here from another friend of mine who is trans and said Slumo is the best place for trans people to work in the city. And we're just so happy that that happened organically, that it was just part of the environment that not just Karen and I have built, but that the whole team creates and builds together. Kind of reminds me, I have this personal story of being in probably kindergarten. And I had this friend who in talking to him, I don't know how it came out, but he's, he's Muslim. I'm Jewish. And I went in one day and I asked him what his prayer book was. And he told me it's the Quran. And I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, I'll bring one in. And I said, I'll bring in mine. And I asked my mom for a prayer book. And she was like, why do you want to bring it? What do you mean? And, and I was like, I'm bringing it to my friend, Wasim, he's Muslim, he's going to bring in his. And there was this like incredible innocence of us sitting down and handing each other our books and kind of realizing we're really the same, you know? And in a way that to me speaks to the universal language of play. Like that's what, to me, that's what the world is about. It doesn't matter what, you know, being around somebody who might not come from the same cloth you do or the same background you do creates a more interesting universe because I, I know what everybody who grew up like me thinks like because we all grew up in sort of a similar way. I've always loved to be around people who think differently than I do, who might have completely different, you know, growing up, I went to all my friends who were of different religions. I wanted to go to their ceremonies or their, you know, places of worship to see what it was about. And in a way, I think that that's what this slime world brings, because when you walk into our space, you will see a diversity of guests and of the people on the floor from a socioeconomic, from a physical, from a a neuro standpoint, from a color, from gender, from it's incredibly meaningful. And I think that is why it's slime. And this universe has been so healing because we see people leave in joy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? A lot of people have ideas, but not everybody brings things to life like this in a place that, you know, is very inclusive and so focused on play and inclusivity. What was the initial spark of courage? Where did that come from? Where does that come from daily? I think that's who we are, honestly. Sarah and I have had that in common where we've both, we're both serial entrepreneurs. We've both always said, If we have an idea, you just do it. You just do it. Whatever it takes, if you want to do it, you do it and you figure it out. Whether you have to be scrappy, we just do it. And my personal philosophy has always really been just jump out of the nest. You're going to fly. And you know what? If you don't, you'll break a leg. You will heal. You will pick back up and you will get to the top of that nest and you will jump out again. Like I've always been that way as a human being and Sarah as well. I think that is one of the things that make us work so well together. I think the the fearlessness we share, but we also share an incredible amount of trust. And it's probably because we are really similar. 
but we're we're almost like a marriage in that sense that the trust is super super high. There's uh, really no no boundaries of when when you're risking so much, you have to really be able to to trust someone, and we we have that from our friendship. We have that from our both we're very spiritual people. So I think our value systems were really aligned, even if uh, on many different levels we're different. We have that same value system. Sarah and I as friends have seen each other through the worst depths of hell in our personal lives, like truly. And I think, you know, when you go through really impossible things, you see who your friends are. I, at least in my universe, I was shocked at actually how few people were the friends I thought they were. And when, when Sarah went through a hard time, like it was really important for me to show up for her and let her know that she has a support and that she has somebody who is a hundred percent got her back on any little thing she needs, whether it's groceries in the house or like just any, literally anything she needs. And that was because I really love her and I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to be that for her. And she was that for me. And because we've seen each other go through that, we just know that like we're in this together and she's seen me lose everything. I've seen her lose so much. And for us, this is in a way coming out of some ashes. And when we say so much is, is at risk, like, I don't know what I do if this doesn't work out. I don't know. I, I, the joke for me is that, am I moving in with my parents and running, like driving them in a golf cart to their next game and working for a family business that I that is great, but I don't want to be in because I just don't know. I, this is it for me. You don't know what you would do if you weren't doing this. So I'm curious, Sarah, was there ever a moment where you were second guessed this or thought about throwing in the towel or thought, I don't know about slime? Never. I, I think this has had legs since the day it started. And part of that is, especially when we opened, we see the joy on people's faces. And I always tell the story of seeing uh, like a single dad with his daughter coming in. And for me, that really touches my heart because you know that they're spending quality time together and they're doing something that is just as powerful for him as it is for his daughter. And they're connecting in really amazing ways. When you when you stand up there, Karen and I used to stand and watch the guests come through through with tears in our eyes because we were so happy. We couldn't believe that we had created this and it was still so hard, but it didn't matter. And that just kept us going. We just kept iterating and iterating and iterating and making it happen. And we figured out a way to survive quarantine when we had to refund hundreds of thousands of dollars of tickets. And when you're a startup and you're scrappy, I mean, I didn't sleep through most of quarantine, literally. I was in severe stress insomnia, but like in every day, figuring it out. And, you know, nobody, we had no guests, but we were just in talking and, you know, trying to build e-commerce and do virtual experiences. And I know I hate this word, but like the pivot, Uh, I hate that word. It's so overused, but just how do we shift and how do we evolve and where do we go from here? Because we have no choice but to come out the other side. What was the best piece of advice you got along the way and who gave it to you? So I have a couple pieces of advice that I've taken with me 
over the last decade. And uh, the first one is get it 80% right and go. No uh, paralysis from analysis. You can always fix things later. And Karen has that same mindset, really like test and learn, get things 80% right and go was a, was a critical component. And the second piece of advice that's really stuck with me is the idea of investing in things that people can feel that are better, special, or different. So we had a very, very tight budget when we opened and we, I believe, spent money really wisely, like in our vats that are custom fiberglass vats that hold the slime and the slime is the star. And we didn't invest in things that I think other companies would, like we didn't redo the lighting system and some other infrastructure pieces. So we were able to make a, a dollar go a long way. Uh, my mom, who's now 76, was a computer programmer. So Think about when she was 20, you know, something years old. She was the only female programmer going into her job, by far the smartest one in the room and had to work five times harder than everybody. Growing up, really none of my friends had moms who worked. And so watching my mom work as hard as my dad and I said to her like many times, where do you have this drive? And she said, I was born this way. And I also, my mom's like, I, I never wait for an opportunity to come to me because they weren't going to come to me. I had to take it and not take it in a hurt somebody else way, but I had to go. You know, I think just watching my mom and seeing that example without even words of her just grabbing something and saying, I'm going to make it happen and make it happen and be somebody who was as important to the family infrastructure as my dad from a, just from even a, a financial standpoint. And my mom wasn't, I didn't come home to cookies, but, but it, I don't feel like my mom wasn't there. I feel like she gave me something else. Mm -hmm. So let's say there are another Sarah and Karen out there, right? Two friends who want to start something. What would you say to them? What would you say to somebody who has an idea just as good as yours and wants to get it off the ground? I mean, one thing I would say is really listen to each other and believe in each other and believe in your idea. Because I had a lot of people say, you're crazy. This is ridiculous. I mean, a lot of people. I had family members say, not one person's going to invest. And we were like, mm -hmm, watch. And we just believed. You have to have that conviction. And... And you have to be with somebody whose sensibility and, you know, work product, you can completely trust and get out of each other's way and let each other do their know thing. Know what you know how to do and know what you don't know how to do and be totally comfortable handing that off. Mm -hmm. No ego. You cannot have an ego. We have like no ego. If the biggest news, television, anything in the universe came to us and they called Sarah the founder, I would not care if I wasn't in the picture. Like we know what this brand is and where it came from. It's not about that. So I think a really big problem in the world is when people get their egos in the way. Mm. I also think adults really need permission to play sometimes. And it's important to give themselves that because life is freaking hard. You know, the news every day is just horrific. And when you can have just one moment of, wow, this slime smells good and I'm squeezing it and it makes me happy. Sometimes that's all you need. Wow. They're so great. So much passion. So Joey, I have to know, how did they come up with their name? That's a great question. And one I sadly asked after the mics were rolling as they gave me a tour of their Soho space. It's actually quite simple. 
and kind of playful. There was this viral trend in the slime community in 2017 where slimers, as they're called, would replace the vowels in their name with two O's. So Slumo is the slime name for slime, replacing the I and the E with O's. So your slime name would be Jusun Kunur. Uh, my name has too many vowels in it to even try. <laughs> Amazing. Tell us how our listeners can learn more about Sarah, Karen, and the Slumo Institute. They currently have three locations, one in Soho, New York, one in Chicago, and one in Atlanta. You can learn more, buy tickets, and get a much better idea of the fun you can have as a kid or an adult with slime at slumuinstitute.com. That's S-L-O-O-M-O-O-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E. <laughs> Thanks, Jewy. That does it for us this week. The podcast team and I would like to thank Marie Kelly for connecting us with Karen and Sarah. If you'd like to hear more creators, founders, and inventors discuss how they use their ideas to change the world, follow this feed wherever you listen to podcasts and check out all past episodes. Reach out to us with questions and comments on Gray's social channels or our email address, podcasts at gray.com. And lastly, tell someone about our show. It helps us share these ideas with the world. I'm Jason Connor, and thanks for listening to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. Gray Matter is hosted by Jason Connor, produced by Samantha Geller and Samantha Alvarado, mixed by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes at Gramercy Park Studios, with post-production support from Ned Martin, Robin Frank, and Kyle St. Agath, marketing and administrative support by Christina Hyde, Adrian Hopkins, Marcella Basilar, Kevin McManus, and Gina Cuneo. Editor and executive producer, Joey Scarillo. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.